0: Pastor Xavier Reese, bringing a message of good tidings. There's one media between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, Timothy 2 Timothy 2.5. There's no other one else. The ultimate fulfillment was in the Messiah, Jesus Christ. God who became man. Philippians 2.5 says, being in the form of God, which means he was God before he came, he was God when he was here, and he was God when he left. But God became man, he became less for a time, and he would redeem the world.
1: Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Shopping for that ever-elusive perfect Christmas gift for your loved one? Many an advertisement would have you think they've got you covered with the latest gadget or fashionable apparel that's sure to please. But coming up, Pastor Xavier unwraps the simple truths of what has decidedly been the greatest gift ever to be received. And better yet, it's one that's been given to all men. A sacrifice of love that leads to life eternal. Let's listen. The message entitled
0: Jesus, Redeemer. The entire record of the Messiah, the Redeemer of the world, can be summed up in three things. First, the revelation of the incarnation, secondly, the proclamation of the expiation, need for forgiveness. And thirdly, the invitation of regeneration. I mean, God has made it so simple and so clear, though we cannot understand it just by a natural mind, but the grace of God. But the message is simple and clear. Let me begin by looking at the revelation of the incarnation. The incarnation was prophesied, as you know, in the Old Testament throughout it. Adam and Eve were the first ones to receive the promises in Genesis 3.15. The seed of the woman was the prophecy, the first one of a woman bearing a child without the aid of a man. From the beginning, God promised this child to be born, his son. And the tabernacle, all the furnishings, you've been with us in the Old Testament, uh, the the ark, uh, the furnishings, the uh, tapestry, everything, all the sacrifice, they pointed to Christ, the Savior of the world, in shadows and types. He is the fulfillment of it. He came six months after the pregnancy of Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist. The place was the city of Nazareth, very clear through the scriptures. The person visited was the Virgin Mary, as you know. Luke, Mark, Matthew, they take different accounts, different perspectives, but nevertheless, she was visited by Gabriel and she rejoiced, but she was kind of freaked out at first because she didn't understand the message, how can I be pregnant, I've never known a man. And yet, the was given the high privilege to be the very mother of God. As far as we can understand, the incarnation of the child would be born through her. Yet, the child would be conceived by the Holy Spirit, not by a man. That's just which is conceived and used by the Spirit of God. And you should call his name Emmanuel in fulfillment of the prophecy of Isaiah. Unto you is born the son of the highest. He would receive the throne of his father David fulfill the prophecies. This girl of probably 14 to 16 years old, she submitted herself to the will of God knowing the scorn, the ridicule, the very marking she would have for her whole life. Submitting herself to the will of God. Paul the apostle says in Galatians 4.4, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth a son made of a woman under the law. Right? On time, When the world was ruled by Rome, one language, Greek, all the roads could be traveled during a time of peace. And the gospel went throughout the world right on time. Good guess? No. <laughs> God sits in the heavens. He forces no one, but nothing surprises him. Nothing hinders him. The angels sang, as you know, there with the shepherds, all the angels in Luke 2, 14. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. God's motive and intent behind sending the son was goodwill. That all may be saved and not perish. Peter tells us that God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Yet God knows that not all will repent or even desire to be saved. So God respects the choice of man. And he does not force us. But he will be attempting to turn us till our last breath. But I alone can accept or reject that message as we'll see. The revelation of the incarnation is from God. Now, the proclamation of expiation is the principle of blood. He says it's from the beginning. In Genesis 3.21, as you know, when Adam and Eve failed, and they blew it, sin entered in, death through sin. And God took an innocent animal in Genesis 3.21 and killed it and covered the sin of Adam and Eve through blood and covered their nakedness with the clothing. That's the principle of expiation. Expiation simply means the covering, the forgiveness, the atoning power to put that sin away. The only thing is all the blood of the Old Testament of animals was only like an IOU to come. They pointed to the true Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, to come. John the Baptist said, behold, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world in John 1.29. And so all those Old Testament sacrifices pointed to the ultimate payment of Jesus Christ. Um, when I used to work for Prano Marcus back in the 60s and early 70s, you know, we had certain people. We were good customers, and we knew them, and we'd give them IOUs and write up IOUs for the week, and I'd, every time i close out my books that night, I'd do the books, and I'd count them as cash. They were IOUs, you know, $100, $200, whatever, and it balanced my books, and then at the end of the week, they'd come in and pay it, and they'd give me the money cash, and I'd give them their, their receipt, and they'd tear it up, and we'd be even. And my, my, my drawer was still balanced, right? But I never for once believed that those little pieces of paper were actual money. But I knew they were as good as money because the payment was coming Friday, right? And that's exactly what happened with all the animal sacrifice. They were IUs of the true payment to come. Jesus Christ, who expiated our sins through his blood. All the sacrifices in the book of Leviticus, the first five chapters, all of them, some were blood sacrificed, some were not. But it was the blood, the principle of forgiveness throughout that means that that blood not only forgives, but then there's a mediator between. In the Old Testament, the high priest would be the mediator. He would be a go-between. When he would go before God, he would represent the people to God. And he would offer the sacrifice when he came out of the Holy Holies, and he would, he would represent God to the people. And in the daily ministration that he did, a mediator Go-between. Jesus Christ is that mediator. He is the go-between. There's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, 2 like Timothy 2, 5. There's no other one else. No one else has died for the sins of the world. No one else has resurrected from the dead. No one else has ever fulfilled the scriptures that are directed to Jesus. Not Buddha, not Krishna, not Allah, not Peter. No one. The provision of, for expiation, again, was the Lamb of God. The Old Testament, lambs, goats, different things depending on the sacrifice. But the ultimate fulfillment was in the Messiah, Jesus Christ. God who became man. Philippians 2.5 says, being in the form of God. The word being is a, it's called an antecedent condition which means he was God before he came, he was God when he was here, and he was God when he left because you can't be more than God. But God became man. He became less for a time to take our place as the last Adam to demonstrate that the first Adam didn't have to fail but chose to fail and the last Adam would not fail and he would redeem the world. But he would force no one to be redeemed but make the provisions for redemption through the expiation on the cross, the payment. But he won't make the decision for you. You have to take that step so that if you reject, he has a basis by which he can judge you for the rejection of love and hold you responsible. For if God forced you to go to heaven, then he would be violating your will. And if he forced you to go to hell by not allowing you a chance, then how could he judge you for rejecting him? He would be evil and unjust. And if you get to heaven, you'll never find a group of people arguing over here all upset. And you walk up and you say, why are you guys all upset? You're not going to hear them say, you know, I wanted to go to hell, but God forced me to come to heaven. But if you get to hell, you will hear every person say, you know, I could have gone to heaven. And I chose to go to hell. There is not one person in hell tonight that is not a believer. They believe the gospel, but it can't save them now. Salvation is while you're living, not after you die. There is no second opportunity after death. Anybody who gives you that hope is a liar and contradicts the Bible and calls Jesus a liar. Hmm. Again, John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God which takes away the sins of the world, Jesus Christ. John 1, 29. Peter says we're redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. What the law could not do because it was weak through the flesh. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and condemning sin in the flesh and allowed us to be accepted in his son. The righteousness of Jesus Christ, Romans 8, 3 through 4. By believing God about His Word. This is the proclamation of the expiation. It can't be any clearer. He, dying on the cross, took my place. And God accepted His sacrifice as the payment for my sin. And He signed it in blood the precious blood without sin. Your blood, my blood, as human beings is tainted with sin. When we have children, we produce little sinners because we're big sinners. And you're lucky God gives you babies that don't have teeth, can't walk, and are very strong <laughs> because if they could walk, have teeth, and strong, they'd travel your neck. Mommy, in the middle of the night, says, where's my milk? They don't care about you. If you've only had two hours sleep, they're hungry. So he gives them to us, young, weak, unable to do anything, so we care for them, and we begin to discipline them, domesticate them, (laughs) teach them, so they don't grow up to be little savages. Now the invitation is for regeneration then. I've hinted about it throughout the two points, but the last one, Jesus told Nicodemus, You must be born again, or you will never see the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit is spirit. And he went on to illustrate that the wind blows where it wills, and you don't see where it's coming from, but you see the effects of it. And he compares that to the new birth. When I was born again in 1973, I didn't change outwardly. But my friends saw that my life changed. Now, we just had some incredible winds here in Pasadena. Pasadena. Now, you couldn't see the wind, but you sure saw the effects of the wind. If that tree fell to the north, you knew that wind was coming from the south. And when they looked at my life, after knowing me and the world and all that, they knew something had happened to me. It was an one eighty degree turn. Never sinless, never perfect, but let me tell you, totally different by the grace of God, see? The new birth. People may deny it. People may scratch their head. It doesn't matter. They can't deny the effects on it. You're the same outside, but the inside is different. Because the problem is the heart. Jeremiah 17, says, The heart of man is deceitful, desperately wicked. Above all things, and God knows how wicked it is. People try to blame the environment. They try to blame everything else. God says, no, 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 listen, you've got to agree with me. The problem is your heart. And when I agree with God that's my heart, that's the problem, then he starts dealing with me. And if I call upon him agreeing that I'm a sinner, then he can deal with my heart and give me a new heart. Now, as I'm born again, then I become a new creature, 2 Corinthians 5, 5 17. But I still have an old sin nature. And now I have a divine nature, 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 3-4 to and there's a clashing between the two I'm not religious I'm born again I'm a new creature I don't do things to be accepted by God I've been accepted by God by the grace of God and because I know he loves me and I know that he's redeemed me and saved me from hell and destruction now the evidence of my love for him is that I allow him to live through me to guide and direct and I'm very aware Of what's right and wrong. When all of us were young, we knew right and wrong. God gave us a conscience. But as we were grown, we calloused that conscience. And what bothered me the first time, if I kept repeating it, it came to a place where it didn't bother me anymore. You remember the first time you stole a candy bar? That was so hard. Man, you looked. and and you ran out you didn't get it so you came back the next time but then you know after a while five you just walk like a pro the guy goes hey what are you doing what's up dude nothing so now I'm born again now I study God's word now I have to recalibrate my mind to the word of God now I know absolute right and wrong not just conscience because conscience can be indoctrinated by culture or by academics. But I look to the word of God and I can tell objective truth absolutely what is right, what is wrong. It is an absolute objective truth. Now society today tells you everything's subjective. It's a lie from hell. The PC language helps you by that indoctrination How convenient that we are subjective to our moral and ethical standards but not the way we balance our checkbook. When you drive home tonight, you're going to come to a red, yellow, and green light. Why do you interpret that as objective truth? Why don't you just say, you know what, red is green tonight because you won't reach home. Let's try your checkbook. Let's just say a two's a ten today. You'll like that. And when you're trying to balance your checkbook, you say for the bank, what's a ten is a two tonight. And for my checkbook, what was a two, that becomes a ten, because I'm gonna choose what's favorable to me. But nevertheless, it's not true math. So we choose subjectivism and the culture that teaches us this for our morals and our ethics to justify and explain away god and my accountability to god but the bible says from creation conscience and history I'm without excuse there's a god but creation conscience and history cannot save me all it can tell me there is a god it's the gospel that gives you special revelation that the gospel says you are a sinner you are under god's wrath and the God sent his son to become sin for you, that you might not perish. And the motive and the reason is because he so loved you, that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now, that can bring you to salvation if you're in agreement with God and you don't make excuses. You don't fill in the blank on your own subjectivism. But you believe the objective truth that God is holy, you're a sinner, you deserve hell and wrath, but He sent His Son to die in your place. And if you believe Him and call upon Him, He can save you. Wow. The invitation for regeneration is all inclusive, no one's ever denied. Every person will have an opportunity before they die. You say, How do you know that? Because of the invitation. If he sent his son to die for the whole world, then that means that every person born into the world has to have an opportunity. If they don't, then God would be unjust to judge them for rejecting him. It's common sense. Now, I can't tell you how, when, or where. You might say, well, how about the pygmy? Well, by the way, let me tell you, when the pygmies heard the gospel, they repented. But don't worry about the pygmies. What about you? You're hearing the gospel now. Let me illustrate it real simple. It's real clear. There are two thieves on the cross, both equally distant. Both heard the same things. Both of them cursed and railed Christ. One of them had a change of mind and heart. He rebuked the other thief. We deserve such things, but this man has done nothing worthy of death. And he turned to Jesus and says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Today, today, you will be with me in paradise. The other rejected. Heard the same words, the same invitation. That is the picture of humanity, ladies and gentlemen. And that is a picture of you. You stand in one of those two positions. If you know Christ, then you'll be with him. If you don't know Christ, he's giving you the opportunity. But you're the one that accepts or rejects the plan of salvation based on the revelation of God. And that's what is called biblical faith. You believe what God has declared about you and the plan of salvation. And he allows you to choose. Some will hear and contemplate and go away thinking, well, I'll have another opportunity. Acts 17, 32, some did. They never got that opportunity. That thief on the cross never got another opportunity. Died in a sin. Others will hear and they will mock and rationalize away what is declared to them. And demand that you prove God's existence. And not—it's not hard to prove. But they'll demand all kinds of things because they say, I'm very intellectual. I have a very difficult time believing God because I'm real academic. Listen to me. Your problem is not brains. You're not that smart. Your problem is heart. You're evil. A sinner. That's the problem then there will be others who will hear and receive. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God, Romans 10, 9 and 10 and 17. As the gospel goes forth, the proclamation is always out of love. You and I, if we hate somebody, we will not declare to them anything that's going to benefit them. In fact, we will relish in the fact that they're going to get what they deserve or what I feel they deserve at least. God wants no one to perish, so he sent the son. He communicates that because he loves us. His love's not like ours. His love is beyond this world. He doesn't want you to perish, but he leaves the ball on your court. Everything's been done. The invitation for regeneration is to all of mankind, including you. He says to you tonight I love you. I died for you. If you believe who I am and what I've done for you, I can forgive you. I can cast your sins as far as east as the west. I can give you a new nature to live and to please me never perfect but to change your life and when you die you're going to be with me that's his invitation to you and so the revelation and the incarnation has been laid out the proclamation of the explanation cannot be confused and the invitation for regeneration you've just heard now the choice is yours You get to choose whether you're going to spend eternity in heaven or in hell. It is a choice. God won't force you to go to one or the other place. It will certainly break his heart if you choose hell.
1: I hope heaven's your choice. Pastor Xavier Reese with a simple challenge to choose life eternal by accepting God's gift of salvation this Christmas. Now, today's message, titled Jesus Redeemer, is available on CD for only $4. And by the way, this will also include everything Pastor Xavier shared with us the last time we were together as well. So once again, the title to ask for is Jesus Redeemer, or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, And then join us for more Simple Truths next time with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com